Hi, this is Mike McNamara, and you're listening to All Marine Radio on your home for it, the one and only All Warrior Radio Network. Thursday morning to you, Mike McNamara for Thursday edition of All Marine Radio. Hope you're having a good day. Yep. So I'm reading the news uh, this morning, and I see that somebody... Um, that lives in Costa Mesa, where I live, was arrested for uh, a hit-and-run incident that killed a man down in Newport Beach. So I thought, <clears throat> let me take a look at that. So, um... So I, I just want you to listen to this, and because there's this crazy shit going on across across the country that has to do with DAs, right? But just listen to this: a Costa Mesa man with several DUI convictions has been charged with murder after a hit and run crash that killed a 74 year old man. Now imagine losing your father to this. Stuart Wathanji, 28, was arrested in the parking lot of a Los Alamitos bar not long after the crash Saturday afternoon on Newport Boulevard south of 17th Street in Costa Mesa, according to the Orange County District Attorney's Office. Quote, He's a dangerous person. We've charged him with first-degree murder, and our goal is to keep him off the streets for life, said Orange County District Attorney Todd Spitzer. Prosecutors say police were called to the hit-and-run and found a 74-year-old Richard Frost in the street. Frost died after being taken to a local hospital. Witnesses told police that Frost had been trying to stop the driver of a a silver Chevy Malibu from leaving the scene of the crash where he was struck 
when he was struck and thrown off the hood of Wathanji's car. So evidently there had been a collision. This guy's trying to stop the guy from leaving the scene, and this guy runs him over. Prior to the incident, listen to this. Wathanji had been con- convicted of five DUIs. Wathanji had three prior driving under the influence conviction in Iowa, was wanted on two DUI warrants, one for September 2019 and another from October 2019, according to the district attorney's office. He was arrested in Seal Beach in September of 2019 and in Tustin the next month for DUI. His arrest Saturday on, on suspicion of DUI in Costa Mesa makes that his sixth DUI. He's been charged with murder, driving under the influence, and hit and run. He's being held in the Orange County Jail for $2.25 million, scheduled to make his next court appearance on April 30th. <laughs> I, I don't, you know, you watch the news headlines around the nation, and then you see something like this in your own community. And so a 74-year-old man loses his only life he'll ever have because this guy's right to be free and not have his life impinged on, you know, by society just because he's putting everybody at risk by being drunk and driving his car repeatedly. Yeah, that guy's right to be free trumps your right to be alive. And again, you're seeing, I mean, this crazy shit going on around the country um, with these district attorneys, to me, is like, it's it's absolutely the craziest shit in the world. What you see up in Portland, these these people get arrested, and then after they get arrested, they get, they get let out, and they go do it again. I mean, read the, if you read the interviews with that from law enforcement people up there, they say it's a joke. It's an absolute joke. Huge riots, huge looting in Minneapolis. Nobody arrested the first night. One person, I think, arrested the second And you're watching, it's like, if nobody pays for the crimes they commit, like, how does this all work? And I think the answer to that is that it doesn't. But as I've said before, This stuff will have to run its course until enough Americans get sick of it and say, you know what, this is bullshit. And so we're going to have to keep watching this stuff, right? I was going to say shit, but I stopped myself. We're going to have to keep watching this shit on TV until enough people conclude, you know what? Yeah, these people that, you know, I elected to, um, to, uh, to run my city um, probably aren't capable of running their own house household. So I need to, I probably need to, to, to vote differently in the next election. And maybe some of this just batshit crazy stuff will stop. Uh, the Mensa brothers are going to join me here in a few minutes. Um, and so, but I wanted to kind of, pr- we're going to talk about Afghanistan today, and then we'll do our final installment of the 15th Mew investigation, our conclusions and things like that. We'll do that next week. Anyhow, what's the difference between the Biden plan and the Trump plan? In my opinion, the difference between the two plans is this. We signed an agreement with the Taliban, and they're supposed to do certain things before we do certain things. But what the Taliban sense is that the Americans want to unass Afghanistan. So ultimately, at the end of the day, it won't matter. They're leaving. I would like to think in a more principled America, whether that would have been the Trump administration or not, is can only be left for speculation, that 
for the people of Afghanistan that threw in with us and all the shit that we did over there, to just walk away and unass that thing is wrong. To not require the Taliban to live up to the deal that they signed with us is, is wrong. And yet that's what it seems like we're prepared to do. And I just, I, I think that, look, I don't think anybody has any illusions. Afghanistan will be what the Afghans make it. But I think you have a responsibility to the, to our allies, to the people who threw in with us, not to just walk away from them and say, hey, good luck, we tried. But, you know, we've done enough, we're out. Okay? So to me, the conclusion is make the Taliban live up to their part of the agreement. Make them do that. And I would dare say, if it was me as a president, I would say, we will live up to ours. We will get our people. If you live up to yours, we will live up to ours. But let me tell you this. We will be in the area. And if this shit goes wrong, we'll be back. And I would tell the Afghans, hey, look, man. We have air support, and we have other things we can do. Not going to commit boots on the ground, but we can help you out with aviation and intelligence assets, and we're prepared to do that. Okay. So, anyhow, um, so we'll talk about that. So, um, it is Thursday morning. The United States Marine Corps Band uh, makes this morning official. Good morning to you. This dedicated, I didn't even mention this, I mean, I started a second seminar last night, and holy shit, man, it was awesome. <laughs> it was, it was fantastic. Um, I'm still geeked about it, and we started at like 5.30 Pacific time, and then it goes till 7, and then one of the things I do is I end the meeting, I say, okay, meeting's done, and I know there's people that got to get up in the morning, and, and by all means, uh, feel free to take off, and some people did. And um, I said, but if you want to hang around and shoot shit, we could do that. That thing ended at 8.55 p.m. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was cool. It was cool. So um, it was dedicated to everybody who had a part in the meeting last night. It was uh, absolutely fantastic. Thank you.
you're betraying your whole life if you don't say what you think and you don't say it honestly and bluntly what keeps you awake at night nothing i keep other people awake at night for this campus had prepared him well <clears throat> i'm very confident that thank you very much <clears throat> if this was vodka it'd be a lot better speech <clears throat> <clears throat> but I'm not supposed to glamorize alcohol anymore. So, young folks, you ignore what I just said. We just have to execute. And we are executing every day. And Sergeant Major and I are very proud of what you do. Doesn't mean we can't get better. We don't, we don't want to make a mistake to learn. We don't want to lose to learn. We cannot lose if we have to go fight. We got to do what these Marines did here 75 years ago. Persevere against difficult challenging conditions and odds and win. You gotta win. Alright, time to uh, check the weather here. Uh, currently in Quantico, cloudy in 60 down the coast of Camp Lejeune. It is Sunny in 72. In 29 Palms, it is sunny in 55, so cooled off there. Camp Pendleton, partly sunny in 50, cooled off there. Camp Smith in Hawaii, dark cloudy 65. Okinawa, raining, dark in 66. Darwin, dark cloudy in 80. And in Oslo, balmy day in Norway, partly sunny in 55. Mostly cloudy in 51 here. In Costa Mesa, looking for a high today of 64, 66 on Friday, 67 on Saturday, and 80 on Sunday. That is a look at your weather. When we come back, uh, the Mensa brothers will join me here. Yeah, they will. Right here on a uh, Thursday edition of All Marine Radio on April 15th. It used to be tax day in more normal times. It is not this year. Call your accountant if you're confused. So... Without further ado, the uh, Mensa Brothers join me here on a Thursday edition of Balmering Radio, right here on your home for it, the All Warrior Radio Network. Hi, this is Mike McNamara, and you're listening to Balmering Radio on your home for it, the one and only All Warrior Radio Network. Enough of that. Um, it's Thursday. Joining me is two-thirds of the Mensa Brother Act. Uh, Will Cosentini, Cosentini from uh, just outside Kansas City, Kansas. Will, uh, how are you? Good morning. Great day here in the uh, Midwest. Is it? All right. All right. And Jeff Kenny oh. joins me from uh, beautiful Southern California. Jeff, uh, how are you? I'm good, Mac. Thank you. Uh, it sound good. You sound good. You sound like you're right next door. It's good. I am right next door. I'm just down south of you. Really not, but that's all right. Um, <laughs> let me. Uh, Going to talk about Afghanistan today. Obviously, much of the news. Uh, I want to play for you a little audio from General Jack Keane, and I, and then uh, we'll go ahead and uh, and we'll begin the discussion. But here's a little uh, thing that he did yesterday. Um, uh, on, uh, of all places, Fox News. So here's General, uh, former, what, Lieutenant General Jack Keane? Is that what he was? was a three star? I think he was a full general. Was a I full think he general? was a four star. Okay. He was right. assistant um, chief of staff of the Army. Uh, well, that would be a four star, so. Uh, yeah. Vice, Vice chief of staff. Vice chief of staff. All right, here he is. who are supporting the withdrawal and and understand uh, people's frustration about a protracted war that's lasted 20 years. But the, the reality is we have to stay focused on what the mission is and what the threat is. I'm actually, uh, I'm certainly disappointed by President Biden's decision. Uh, I also think it's reckless. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm surprised somewhat that he's withdrawing with no conditions whatsoever. President Trump had a one-may date, but he also had conditions. And what we've been trying to achieve, we're in a negotiating phase. What we've been trying to achieve is the Taliban reject the al-Qaeda publicly, that there's a ceasefire, 
and there's a, a binding peace agreement. The Taliban playing very hardball because I think they believe the United States wants to walk, and they've been tough in these negotiations. Biden has said that diplomacy will be the center of my foreign policy and national security strategy. Why aren't we putting that in play here? Negotiations and diplomacy with his conditions for withdrawal to give our negotiators some leverage with the Taliban. We have walked away from that opportunity. Second thing here is we are forgetting lessons learned. Uh, Ryan Crocker, preeminent ambassador, said how you end a war is more important than how you start it. We ended the war in Iraq, Martha, prematurely, and we got ISIS, as we have reported here very accurately. It was an absolute disaster on our part, and Vice President Biden had a hand in that, uh, in the sense that General Austin, who's now the Secretary of Defense, recommended a force of 18,000 to stay. Uh, Vice President Biden recommended to President Obama, we're going to zero. The second lesson is safe havens. The al-Qaeda attacked us from a safe haven in Afghanistan. They did the same prior to, uh, uh, prior to uh, the 9-11 attack, two embassies in Africa and the USS Cole. If we had destroyed the al-Qaeda safe haven in Afghanistan, it wouldn't have been a 9-11. So safe havens are critical to the radical Islamic movement. The president mentioned it himself. The reason why we're in Syria, Iraq, Yemen and Eastern Africa is to prevent those organizations, radical Islamists, from having what? A safe haven from which to attack the United States. This is a multi-generational war. That is why we're still doing that. To walk away from Afghanistan and say this is not a multi-generational conflict is to ignore the reality of what has taken place. Listen, there are 40 to 50 radical Islamic movements out there. We're only interested in five of them where we have to apply some force to protect the American people. Preventing that safe haven again in Afghanistan with a modest amount of forces, helping to continue to prop up the government and the Afghan security forces, our intelligence and our air power are critical factors here. And that helps significantly. The consequences, they're pretty obvious. Fracture the government, fracture the Afghan security force, the possibility of the Taliban taking over, and an absolute disaster. And what? Do we have to go back in and do it again like we did in Iraq, as we have a, a rising threat like that on our hands? It makes no sense to me. General, but before I let you go, let me ask you this, because that's the thing. Everyone, it's easy for everyone to say, you know what, we're tired of this. It's been 20 years, billions and billions of dollars, 2,000 lives, uh, enough, enough of this American treasure, enough of the cost. But the question is exactly what you just mentioned. You know, we, I remember after September 11th, we said, you know, you have to be in a September 12th mentality every single day. You have to understand what happened and you have to be ready to respond to it. So what happens this September 12th? Because now we've put a date on it out by September 11th. When you move the chess piece on the board, somebody else moves into that position. Who is that? Well, the, the reality is we pull out of Afghanistan and you're asking what's the September 12th reality after that is most observers who are very connected to the Afghan government, the Afghan security forces, and what has actually taken place in that country. And I consider myself one of those. I've spoken to President Ghani in Afghanistan multiple times in terms of what has taken place inside of his country. That government is going to be undermined, and so will the ANSF. A civil war is going to break out, and a very real possibility of the Taliban taking over. And certainly, it is fertile opportunity for the al-Qaeda to reestablish their safe haven once again. All right, Jack Keane, obviously not uh, enamored with uh, uh, President Biden's uh, policy decision. Uh, I'm mindful of Lindsey Graham's uh, quote. I think it was Lindsey Graham who said, Joe Biden has been on the wrong side of every foreign policy, major foreign policy decision in in the last 40 years. Uh, So let me ask you the first question. Um, is there is there any difference between what uh, President Biden's doing and what President Trump um, planned? Will? Eyewash. Uh, Eyewash. Yeah. You know what? What were the conditions in the Trump negotiations? There's got to be a public statement against Al Qaeda by the Taliban. 
They have to have a ceasefire, and I forget the third condition. Um, and all those conditions have what value? Because we know the Taliban is a very trusted partner in negotiations and international. Oh, they're, yeah, they're not. I mean, it's crap. What are our strategic objectives? Did we accomplish them, not accomplish them? Are we going to accomplish them, not accomplish them? This idea that we have to be concerned with this negotiation of the Taliban, it's mystifying um, to me. Uh, the other difference is um, I don't understand the messaging of saying we're going to be out by September 11th. Of all the days to say we're going to be out by, that would have been maybe the last one I would have picked. Um, so who knows? I, I, I can't tell. The difference, the difference to a lot of Democrats with this is going to be, you know, orange man bad. This isn't Trump. This is Biden. So it's got to be better. Right. I don't know. All right, Jeff, um, difference between Biden and Trump exit plans. Yeah, well, the uh, I think the main difference is uh, this is a knee jerk uh, distraction tactic from President Biden to distract people away from the other disastrous things he's doing that are closer to home, i.e. like the border and uh, some of the, uh, the the tax stuff that they're proposing and so forth. Number two, um, I respect General Keene. Um, you know, his opinions usually sound, but I have to disagree on a couple of key points. Um, number one, the uh, Afghan security forces were, are, uh, you know, they will probably hang on in Afghanistan as long as we're paying their salaries. That's what they what happened during the uh, when when the Soviets exited Afghanistan. Afghanistan stayed a client state for a couple of years until Soviet Union went defunct and the salaries stopped being paid. Then they all ran away. And the folks that we were advising here, particularly in the last since, like I'd say, 2008 or nine, um, they'll freely stay. I got a house in Dubai. I got a house in India. I got a house in, uh, you know, in uh, Switzerland. Some of the more, uh, some of the more gifted, uh, corrupt people, you know, and they're going to run when that salary stops being paid, and they have no intention. I don't think of my, my experience and history shows that they'll just go, and then it will be a failed state. And my next question is, so what? So what? I mean, well, it'll be a safe haven for terrorists. Are you kidding me? Right next door to them, to the west, you got uh, you got Iran. It's bigger than Afghanistan, and every single bit of it is a safe haven for terrorists. Let me remind folks, the, the villain of villains, Osama bin Laden, was living in the retirement place for, for uh, Pakistani military folks for years until we killed him in 2011, was it, right? So uh, it's like, you think that that's the only place there's going to be a safe haven, Afghanistan? And something else. I mean, we haven't controlled more than, I'd say, 35% of that goddamn country, Afghanistan, since 2012. So what that means, the rest of it is we, we can't touch it, except with drones and shit like that. So that means it's a fucking safe haven, excuse my French. So that stuff is, is uh, baloney. Now, as far as all the blood and treasure and all that stuff, you know, um, uh, the... Uh, the for some reason, these guys have a zeal to stay in places for years and years and pump money in. I mean, the only reason why now I would say it's not significant, as I used to think, money-wise, because we pumped about 800 and some billion dollars in Afghanistan since we got involved. But we did like three of these, are we on three now, of these uh, stimulus things that are over into the trillions. You know, I don't think we've even spent all the money from the first one yet, which we don't have. We're just printing it. So... You know, maybe that's not of, uh, as big of a concern, but, uh, you know, I think that uh, it's Afghanistan, is a, it was failed from when we stopped making the goal to be to get rid of the, uh, to defeat the Taliban, to deny al-Qaeda, you know, support from them in that country and switched it over to, we're going to make Afghanistan the perfect utopia for women, just like it is in America, the perfect utopia just like america and western europe is and that pissed them off they don't care about that stuff and when we did that we started doing that 
bringing in, you know, specialists to teach them how to grow their crops and other specialists on how to put their women, you know, in, uh, in, in jobs that are, used to be for men, which is all jobs. They just, they, you know, they smile, they sneer behind it and they never really, uh, re- never really bought into, into that fact. Matter of fact, they resisted it. They resisted like passive aggressive. So I'm saying we screwed this thing up and it's a waste of time in there now. So we should leave. And now 9-11, that's an insult to everybody who fought in there. I mean, he should just, uh, and again, there's no, he just said this thing, I think, to just take uh, to take uh, attention off some of the other disastrous things that are going on right now. So you agree on ask this thing? Yes. I thought President Trump was right in getting out of there. All right. Uh, just, and unilaterally going and, you know, what will be, what will be. Uh, my my problem is, you know, I mean, the Taliban, you know, as Will said, not a very good partner through negotiations. They have sensed that we want, we, we're looking for the door. And they've just, you know, they just have hard-assed this thing. And now, you know, it seems like without now any conditions, we just exit. And yeah, but Max, so let me, so let me ask you this. I, that, I, what were the conditions? I'm looking for him. Well, you cited him, and I'm looking yeah, for Keen him. Keen said he, we basically they have to make a public statement against Al Qaeda. There has to be a ceasefire, and I forget the third one because it was completely inconsequential as well. I thought they had to have an agreement in place. Yeah, an agreement. So, um, how do you hey, guarantee the conditions? Do we take ten thousand Taliban hostages? But I mean, so fucking what? We, they agreed all that crap, and the day we leave, what's that piece of paper worth? They don't care about the international community, and they're standing at the United Nations. They're not open to getting any U.S. aid if they're going to be Taliban-dominated. It's crap. So That's all to make us feel good. And something else, too, about the Iraq thing. Is this like Iraq in no, 2011? Before we get there, though, here's what the condition should be. Okay, 20 years ago, you harbored Osama bin Laden, and he brought down the Twin Towers. And we came down and smacked you down. And here's where we screwed this up. We should have left 20 years ago. But yes. told you, if you ever do that again, we're going to come in and smack you twice as hard. And then we're going to leave this shithole again. We'll just do punitive campaign after punitive campaign I don't know, every 5, 10, 15 years, every time you get stupid. And until then, we don't care. We don't care how you live and what you do. That's pretty much much what the Brits did all through the last part of the 19th century up until the 20s. That's the only condition they need to know. And as far as the Iraq thing goes, the Iraqis, uh, when, when ISIS started rolling in there and their Chevy Love vehicles and all that stuff and their, you know, refurbished T-54s, pretty much uh, they walk right across Anbar. And most of the Anbaris, who are Sunni, were like, yeah, we've been tre- getting treated like shit by the Shia government. We'll see how these guys are. Once they ran up against hard places like Mosul and the, uh, you know, the eastern part, out, out, eastern suburbs of, uh, of uh, Baghdad, they got stopped. And then, of course, we came running back in and, uh, you know, and, and pushed ISIS back out. Here's also a difference in Iraq. You know, and here's where we screwed up Iraq. Iraq, as opposed to Afghanistan, is an unbelievably strategic place. It sits right on the Sunni-Shia uh, rift. Yeah. Uh, it sits on top of the third or fourth or fifth biggest puddle of oil anywhere in the world. Uh, it had been involved in almost all the anti-Israeli activity that had gone on for 40-something years. Iraq, strategic geographically, strategic economically, uh, if ever there was a country that, that and the reason we went, who knows. But once you're there, we should have owned that thing like Germany and Japan. And we should have built that into something useful there. But instead, we did it on the cheap. And so when we got out of there, you know, we were getting out while the getting was good. I fundamentally disagreed with it because, again, it's a strategic place. That's the difference. Afghanistan, what do we actually want to hear 
about Afghanistan ever again. We never want to hear the word Afghanistan again because nobody cares. And I hear this Keen say, oh, safe haven, like East Africa and all these places. Is he suggesting we should garrison the world? Because <laughs> everywhere we don't garrison is all of a sudden a safe space, safe haven. Uh, I mean, the suburbs of Paris are a safe haven for terrorists right now. It's, Minneapolis. His, yeah, his statement that this creates a safe haven is ridiculous. If you have a credible threat, hey, Afghans, we don't want to deal with you people anymore, ever. But if we get a whisper that something's coming out of here, we are going to slaughter you. Okay, let me ask. So, okay, so I, I completely concur with your point about what we should have done, but that's not what we did, right? What we did, and they threw in with us because we had a better idea, is for the last 20 years, right, we've attempted to refashion their nation. And now to, to another ally, we said, you know what? We've done enough. We're tired. We're out. Okay, oh my, so national honor. Give me a fucking break. What what is the word of the United States? And and not only that, the world the, the world is Hobbesian, right? Yeah. The world is Hobbesian. And what do you mean they threw in with us? They didn't throw in with us. They had no choice. Yeah. The world is Hobbesian. They they rely on us as long as they know that they have leverage or that they have requirements. And we do the same thing. I mean, the United States national honor. Think of all the people we've abandoned everywhere. I mean, it, it is disgusting, it's, it's, but it's, it's a fact. It's troubling to say. Yeah. It's troubling to say the fucking least, right? Yeah, it's disgusting. Look, the people that that served with us, alongside us, interpreters, et cetera, et cetera. The fact that we abandoned those people—that's a—that's a disgrace. All, all mine are here. I mean, we had. There's already been an exodus of. Uh, yeah. Afghan interpreters. Well, can you imagine the scene around the American embassy right now? In in in, in Kabul, right? I, I don't know. I don't. Well, no. I mean, the, the the people that have worked for us that say we need to get the fuck out of here, man. We've worked for the Americans. This shit's not going to go right, you know. And I guess I'm 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 <laughs> I'm the bleeding heart of the group. I I just. No. To me, to to abandon them, and again, not even fucking squeeze the Taliban a little bit. But how do you squeeze them? I mean, the only thing is is uh, is bombs and uh, and drones. Right. You know, that's that's to uh, me. That's the only leverage that, again, I you know, boots on the ground, Americans' lives at risk. No, but but aviation assets, drones. You know, helping them with intelligence. You know, is that not a commitment that NATO can 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 give to the uh, Afghan government, or is that just like, hey, the whole thing shut off too? Good fucking yeah. luck. Well, plus when you look at really when we say taking them out, what are we taking out? There's 2,500 Americans. Most of them are clustered right there in either Bagram or that that uh, compound right outside the embassy in Kabul. Ninety percent of them are there. The other thing, they're not out there protecting anything. Right, right, right. The other thing is uh, we got NATO uh, allies that are in there and CETO allies like Australia and so forth. The whole thing comes to, I think, between 7,500 and 10,000 people total. Right. So that's a drop in the bucket. Right. You know, I mean, we had 100 and, what, 110,000 at our peak there. And even then, you know, it was a, it was a, it was a screw story because they're not really into it. They're just milking us for money. Yeah, Mac, we can't want it more than they do. I know. Yeah. I, I'm with you. I, I, I don't. I don't. I don't deny that. But it, it, I mean, to me, the optics are the Taliban since the start of those negotiations just said, "Hey, fuck you. You want to leave? We yeah. know it. Get the fuck out." Yeah, because we're dealing with a pretty. Uh, we don't yeah. have a great. Set of cards here yeah. to play. If they had a guy like Masood who come up out of Tajikistan or the Tajik area in Afghanistan and raised it and said, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this thing right. I'm gonna get rid of these assholes." You know, I'm not and, and uh, like the, the original Masood was. I'd say, yeah, we'll back that guy up. Just like when the French backed us up in 17, 
80 or whatever when they finally really weighed into the thing is because they thought we were going to win because they thought we were into it. That's why they didn't go back up the Brazilians against the Portuguese. You know what I mean? They, because they thought we got a chance of getting something back in our investment. And all this stuff about America abandoning its allies, blah, blah, blah. All Every country abandons its allies when they start, when the juice isn't worth the squeeze anymore. And that should really be the name. Afghanistan, when you translate it into English, should be the juice is not worth the squeeze. Because every country that's supposedly, you know, the graveyard of empires, another canard, really what it is is, Every country from the Mongols, you know, to the Brits, to Alexander the Great, to us, finally says the juice ain't worth the squeeze here. Like Will was saying, it's, it's strategically valueless, you know. And as far as safe haven goes, there's a gazillion safe havens all over the place. I mean, when you got guys, guys with jackknives taking over airliners – you don't need uh, you don't need a, a place you can pl- practice combined arms. You know, I I, I mean, I, I wish Jack Keane was as concerned about the southern border of the United States as he is exactly. about the borders in Afghanistan. The idea that we've got to stop them over there, well, shit, we're inviting them across the door here. Insanity. Hey, Mac, what do you think the, the, the reason is for the 9-11, that particular date of all dates? Why do you think? I think that is given to us by the same people that give us the, let's expand the ground war in Afghanistan. I mean, so I, I could never explain it to you. I mean, I, I mean, if any one of us sat in that, in that OPT and we're watching the conversation go around the room and the backbench, one of the backbenchers stick their hand up and say... Um, hey, I've got a question. It doesn't seem to me like the right date for this no, cel- for, for, for this celebration. So, you know, ladies and gentlemen, I think this is fucking stupid, right? Let's pick another date. So, apology you know, to the, the most. Uh, here's the way they picked it. They know that the American people haven't been paying attention to this for years, and the average American is is somewhat illiterate or ignorant of news. And this is a way that they can catch the people and say, look, we finished it. And it's a, it's a, it's a tag to the original 9-11 and say, oh, see, he did end the war. Right. I, I, the people that are going to think, people that spend more time on TikTok than they do thinking about how they're going to retire, this appeals to them. And it'll work with those people. And people like us that are trying to be thoughtful and serious, um, you know, first bet on us. What are we thinking? But yeah, it's it's utterly ridiculous. Um, but no, you know, but but it, it it absolutely makes sense in the world of you know political charades and bullshit, right? There you go. Right, right. How's it polling? How's it polling in the district? Nobody gives a shit about Afghanistan, sir. All right, well. Then we don't give a shit either. See ya. So anyway, um, yeah, I <laughs> I have to tell you though, I I'm I'm I don't know. I, I it just doesn't seem right to me to walk out on an uh, just to unass an ally that that you know. And again, I I get it. I don't know why. I'm just I'm I'm the bleeding heart that says at least make them fucking come to the negotiating table to in some form of serious negotiation and falls we have if the only card to play in that is our our aviation assets and our drones then fucking play that card say look th- this is going to hang around till it till disagreement happens and if it doesn't and you pick up the violence then we're going to whack the shit out of you okay but we want you to come to the table to me that's the last thing america could could do is is to create at least an agreement you know as we head for the exit but you know we've said hey fuck, fuck it, the reason that fuck it, good luck. Afghanistan is because of pakistan if pakistan changed their policy the whole thing would end in afghanistan right now that's the only reason we're supposedly supposed to be allies with pakistan but the whole time we're fighting the, the hot part of this war up until osama bin laden supposedly you know when he was killed uh, Pakistan was, you know, playing us on one side, playing them on the other side. And we've never admitted the truth about 9-11. Nine, nine 
But the Saudis have a big part to play in that too. And so I think either we were unknowingly getting jerked off or knowingly, like during the Bush rears particularly, being jerked off by these people. And we could, you know, people were getting something out of it. Because, uh, you know, if Pakistan said no more allowing of nefarious activities go on in Afghanistan from our borders, the whole goddamn thing would stop. But they don't. Because it serves their, they're insane. They think that they actually are worried more about India being involved in uh, Afghanistan, the Pakistanis are, than they are about the Afghans. Right. It's insane. Right. And but so, it's the way it is. And what Pakistan doesn't need is, uh, you know, an, an organized Afghanistan on one side and an organized and, and belligerent India on the other. So therefore, keep Afghanistan destabilized and fighting and, and on its ass. And, and that serves Pakistan's national interest. The um, there you go. all right, all right. Uh, what are you reading? Well, I'm actually reading uh, Toll's first book, Six Frigates. Wow, no shit. It's, it's phenomenal. Uh, what's really good about it is it's the history of uh, the U.S. Navy. Um, we need to get Toll on this program. I got. I, yeah, I, I have to contact him, and we'll have a Toll worship hour. Yeah, it uh, so it you know it's the it's the building of like the constitution and the constellation, et cetera. Uh, and then yeah, I'm in the War of eighteen like twelve. The, the building right of it, like how yeah, they... that's the that's the job. that was our Six original frigates. thing. Six frigates, yeah, yeah, original navy. So, um, what's really good about it is how he weaves the other history. It's not just a history of these boats. Right. It's it's why things are because of the revolution, a quasi-war, uh, things leading into 1812. And then it also deep dives into, you know, Decatur and Preble and Isaac Hull and Oliver Hazard Perry. So it just it's a phenomenal book, as you would expect. I what, don't know why I waited so long to buy it. What is a frigate, Will? Uh, in those days, it was a ship, I think, bigger than a sloop and smaller than a battleship. So they typically mounted uh, smaller than a man of war. Between 36 and 44 guns, I think usually on two decks. What is a sloop? I think the Bonhomme Richard was probably a a frigate. What What is a sloop? A sloop is a ship that's smaller than a frigate and bigger than a gunboat. Oh, here we go. (laughs) (laughs) What's a gunboat? A gunboat typically is not an ocean-going vessel, but carries a gun and is typically rowed, but also can have has sails. So it's useful for defending uh, harbors, but also useful. The battleships might tow them in a place like we did around uh, uh, Tripoli. Uh, so that you can get through difficult channels and passages and bring fire to bear where perhaps you wouldn't be able to do it with a larger ship. Are you making this up? I'm not making up <laughs> any of it. I just read the book. Because <laughs> um, it sounded like something Jeff would make up, and then like we would all defer to it and go, oh, and only find out later that he was lying the whole time. A warship frigate, a warship with a oh, yeah, like. When did that ever happen? <laughs> a warship with a mixed armament. This is just general McNamara fantasy here. Generally, this would <laughs> generally heavier than a destroyer in the U.S. Navy, and of a kind originally introduced for convoy escort work. So that is a that is a modern frigate. That is a modern right. frigate. So that's the thing. Mac asks us questions while he looks it up on Wikipedia. Yeah, and then. Sees if you're right or not. If you're not right, you're either stupid or a liar. No, 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 no. Well, that's that's that's, <laughs> that's not false right there. That is not false. And so, yeah, that's what I do. I uh, but I, the 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 question originally is genuine, and then I'm as Will spouts it all off, and he's reeling all this knowledge from sloops to uh, to to frigates to whatever. What was the other one? The battleship or ship of the line. Ship of the line. But there was a, something bat- between, other than a frigate and a sloop. A gunboat. 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 All right. All right. And so then it occurred to me as he was waxing eloquent, 
he might not be telling the truth about this. But because he's on Skype, I noticed he didn't hesitate. He was just reeling it off. And I thought, hmm, maybe he is telling the truth. Maybe this is an oddity. Somebody's telling the truth. Which brings us to Jeff Kenny. Jeff, what are you reading this week? I'm reading Max Ass Whipping. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm reading. I'm still reading uh, Lines and Shadows. And what? It's, it's it's morphed from uh, from being just about you know the border, how you know the people coming through the canyons in San Diego in the late '70s. It was when the first big exodus came. Um, and eventually led to Reagan doing his thing in the late 80s uh, with the, you know, the uh, amnesty. But uh, these people are being victimized by by predatory criminals. Yeah, 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 yeah. We've heard it the last two so, weeks. Give us the well, latest. It's, kind of more from, it's more from that now into these guys are getting in gunfights almost every week. Right. And, so it start, and then they're going home to their wives at night. Right. It's not like they're deployed or anything. And uh, so they're starting to uh, display psychological issues concomitant with that. Like they're, some of them are like not being able to sleep and all that regular stuff. Others of them are, they're energized by it and they're out partying and chasing women and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, they're exhausting themselves because they're too keyed up to go home. So they're losing, and, uh, they're so slowly but surely losing their minds. And the, and the head guy, uh, is kind of like, uh, he is so, he, the sergeant who's in charge of it is so energized by the, by the by, the kinetics of the thing, that um, he's pushing for more and more of it. He want he likes it, and uh, it's putting a huge strain on his uh, subordinate police officers. And uh, and I knew a guy who was in this. He was one of the one of my fellow counter corruption advisors in Afghanistan. And I mentioned I read the book, and he we were at this conference, and we we're sleeping in these huge tent over there in Bagram. Um, and man, I'll tell you what, he just. He just uh, poured into my ear about this thing. You know, uh, he later became a DEA agent. And uh, when Lori back here was on, in that Republican Wives thing for Laguna Niguel, uh, one of them was a DEA agent, female. And I mentioned this guy's name and she goes, oh, my God, did he tell you about, uh, you know, when he's on the border, the border alien task force? I'm like, yeah. And then me and her were going, talking about, I mean, the, you know, the knowledge he had poured into, you know, her and all those other folks about it. And so it's a. Uh, it's kind of like a, you know, a, a way of looking at the dawn of the current situation we have on the border. You know, this is before anybody on either side of the aisle really saw the, uh, you know, the uh, illegal alien thing as as something that could be used for political gain. Got it. Got it. All right. So, bottom line is, uh, you might not like uh, President Biden's uh, course of action or the date he's chose to set as uh, the end date. But the bottom line is there is no better course of action. Yeah. Yes. There I'm surprised have. he did it. There, there you have he it. He just did it you to, have. you know, distract. Yeah. And he may pull back. He may renege. He may crawfish. That's one of his specialties. Well, the Republicans, certainly Lindsey Graham is uh, is after him, and Mitch McConnell is both after him. Uh, are, do you think that's just political shit? Do you think they know better and it's just politics? I don't know which one of those, which one of the three of those guys is worse. Yeah, I don't. Uh, lay out the case. If the yeah. case is General Keene, deny safe haven. Okay, then name the place that we're not going to garrison. If the case is we've made all these great strides in Afghan society, well, I'll tell you what, that's none of our fucking business. Uh, well, let me tell you, though, the, the, the biggest blowback is going to be when the Afghan women go on TV, right? And that video plays uh, in the United States, right? That's, I mean, I mean I'm just talking the, the optics and the politics of, of, of this. Yeah, of his, I, he's going to, right, he's going to catch a, a ton of shit for that. But the idea that that's the reason right. we're committing scarce resources is utterly ridiculous. Uh, 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 so, and this, oh, we need to maintain some sort of footprint in the region. Um, I think we could do it for a hell of a lot cheaper and probably a lot more effective. That was um, a, a mutual friend of ours, um, 
one of the things he told me, he said, you know, that's one of my tasks is to maintain a a a presence in the region and we can do it from there. If we if we don't if we're not in Afghanistan, we don't have a presence in the region. And I just say a presence to do what? Well, and, and his response was, because that's what I asked, was the denial por- portion of this to uh, to okay. ensure that we can deny. But again, I, I again, you're, how much how much real estate do we need to set up a safe haven? An acre? Like, I mean, yeah. you know, it's not like we're driving tanks and shooting fucking artillery. Yeah, right. I, 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 uh, um, I think there's a hell of a lot better ways to do it, and I think there's more sophisticated ways to do it, and I think that there are higher uh, priorities. Uh, I think there are higher priorities. Um, and look, he, here's what 9-11 proved to us as well. You can you can rouse the sleeping giant. You just can't keep him awake. You know, American people got fired up. We should recognize that about ourselves. We got fired up. And if it's not an existential threat, then we're going to go back to sleep. And that's what we did. So when we get fired up, you use that. You do a punitive campaign and you leave. If it's an existential threat, no, no, no then doubt. you've got to bring all the power of government to bear to make sure that that giant stays roused. Right, right. No, so, I absolutely agree with you, and and I don't know why we can't learn that lesson in our history. Why we can't bring right the 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 power of this nation right to bear to achieve whatever strategic aim we identify, but it just doesn't seem like we're capable of it as a nation. And then, because half of the people in charge of the country think that we're our history just defines us as being racist, sexist, homophobic, etc. Well, long before that, I mean, the, all these, all these dates, all, all this shit, though, in my opinion, predates that. I mean, that's yeah, th- maybe that, that trend, I, you know, is well. I mean, it will come and it will go, and 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 the truth of you know the nation that is is the least racist racist on the planet. It offers the most diversity and the most opportunity across the board. At some point, right, people are going to say, yeah, I I hear what you're saying, but the audio and video don't match here. And let's sit yeah, on that conversation. Yeah, you're, you're, you're absolutely right, Mac. You're absolutely right. Because look at the immigration in and out. The in, the in to the United States, you know, Dwarfs. There's not a lot of people leaving America <laughs> exactly. because of racism. You know? Exactly. No one's and again, to get back. To hey, Africa if you think it's if you <laughs> think it's fucked up, here's a plane ticket around the world. Go around the world and come back and let me know what you find. Uh, hey, I just Mac. Yeah, I'm back. But, want to apologize for the shit I said. Everything else is yeah. so fucked up. I don't even want to talk about it. I can't believe I'm back. Thank you for the for the trip. I'm never leaving this country again. I mean that's what they would find, and so anyway. All right, boys, I appreciate uh, I appreciate guys, appreciate you guys doing this. Timmy could not be with us because he forgot we were doing this at this time, and he's at the gym. So just in case you're worried about Tim Lynch. So anyway, have a great week, and uh, I will be in touch. See ya. Thank See ya. You. That'll do it. Um, I'm uneasy with it. <laughs> Um, I don't know. Maybe I've read too much American history and believed in it and think that walking away from your allies like that is a dishonorable thing to do. Maybe that ha- doesn't have a lot of, of, maybe that at the end of the day doesn't have a whole lot to do with the way a country behaves. And I'm sure, you know, Will and Jeff are right in their assessments of these are arrangements of convenience. I don't know, maybe I'm too much, uh, still have too much Boy Scout in me. That when somebody throws in with you, you don't leave them. Uh, like we did in Vietnam, and like we've done other places. So, um, let that be a warning to anybody who would get in bed with the United States. Uh, that is certainly a possibility. So, on this uh, Thursday, have a great day. I'm Mike McNamara. This is All Marine Radio. 
Thanks for listening. Don't be afraid to change somebody's life. And if I can help you do that, you know how to get a hold of me. With that said, I'm out.